Welcome to the Open to Hope show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, and with my co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Hello. Hi, Heidi. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation in partnership with the Compassionate Friends. So, Heidi, talk about our guest today, our good friend. Linda Goldman is one of my very favorite people. I, she knows this. I have been teaching at Columbia for going on 14 years now. I teach graduate students and I use Linda's things often. I refer to her, her writings all the time. I refer to her work all the time. She is an expert on our topic today, which is supporting children's grief, loss, and trauma. And it is a very timely and important topic. I was just saying before the show, most people have, most professionals and anybody in that it, it don't have an expertise in this area. She is an incredible person and she's very easy to connect with. She's a former board member of ADAC, the Association for Deaf Educators and Counselors. She serves with me and my mom on the TAPS Advisory Board. She's written numerous books. She's an adjunct professor at John Hopkins Graduate School and King's College. She has been doing this work for many, many years. I can't say enough about her because I think she's so phenomenal. And I am going to her pre-conference all-day workshop on working with children um, next month, and I'm very excited to do that. Um, let me tell you about some of the books she's written. A Guide to Help Children with Complicated Grief, Raising Our Children to Be Resilient and Talking About Death, Healing Great Answers to Difficult Questions About Death. It creating Inclusion and Well-Being for Marginalized Students. Yes, so we are honored to have Linda Goldman today talking with us. Welcome to the show, Linda. Thank you, dear. It's so good to be with my good friends and colleagues and people that are doing such good work out there for children and adults in grief. Well, it's wonderful to have you on, Linda. We love you. Now, um, you know, this is such a timely topic with the school shootings in Florida, and we keep seeing these kids on the air, and you know, it's really traumatic. Uh, can you talk oh, a little bit about what's going on? Um, you know, as I was thinking about this short 20 minutes and what we would talk about, and of course, all the books cover the topics of loss and grief and trauma, but I think when our kids are inundated with the visuals of the constancy of these school shootings, um, it creates an overlay of complication to any of the grief and loss issues that I talk about and all the resources that I write. And... Um, I feel like, here's an example. I was thinking about the Sandy Hook um, school shooting and reading the paper a few weeks after it happened. And of course, these were all elementary school children who were eventually brought to a new school. And in the article, it said, well, the guard that had been there was so happy because now the kids were in a new school and they would be over the trauma. And I to myself, no, the trauma has not begun. And I feel like oftentimes, that's the space when kids need it most is when the initial incident has happened, that all the kids are so afraid that it takes time before they can release their grief and loss issues. So, I mean, the question is, what can we do to help? And mm -hmm. now the second question is, how can we create trauma-sensitive environments? Because so many of our kids, whether directly or vicariously, are experiencing trauma from the violence in the world that they live with. And as I thought about it, one of the one of the protective factors for increasing kids' resilience to these kinds of 
catastrophic events is the idea of caring relationships, having high expectations, but also having a place where they can participate. This helps them to really work through what they've experienced. And when I see these teenagers march against um, gun legislation, they're really being self-advocates. Mm -hmm. And it's very helpful for, for them in helping them to work through what they've experienced. Well, well, Linda, I think you're making a good point because I think when we've had a death, we feel victimized like something's been done to us, particularly when it's traumatic. And right. we feel very helpless. And when we turn our grief outwards into service, whatever they might look like, it's very empowering. Like you said, we don't feel as, as you know, vulnerable when we do that. We feel like we're part of the solution. <laughs> we yeah. feel like we're part of the solution. And the beauty of, of being self-advocates as young children and teens is that they have adult support in doing that. Um, and so, you know, I have an example in one of the from a little girl who lived through 9-11. And um, she, they were all the kids, they were second graders. They heard the, the um, plane go into the Twin Towers. They were right down the street in New York. And they drew pictures of what happened. And her resilience came out because in her picture, she drew people crying. She drew the towers and the plane crashing. And behind that, she drew angels. And she said, you know, I feel like everything is fine and God is watching over all of us and we are all going to be fine. And I thought, well, that's an attribute of resilience that the adult world could support. And that was her spiritual belief system. So it's just an example of what we can do. Mm -hmm. I, I love that, Linda, because I get concerned with ch when children are inundated with all this trauma and all this loss that it might make them feel like the world is a very scary and dangerous place and how to well, help heal with being inundated like you said one of the kids that i worked with was being very defiant at home getting into trouble at school and she came into grief therapy and she was so angry and she was walking around the room and showing her anger and i said if you could write anything down what would you write and she she was angry at her dad and so first she said, I'm so angry at my dad. My, her mom had died and um, the dad started dating. And she said, I don't want him to go out with this person. I don't want him to do this. And she has the same name as my mom. And when she started to write, she just put one sentence. I'm afraid I'll lose you too. Mm. And I thought, wow, that is really, really so true. And once um, she could write that, and she could get it outside of herself. Then we could explore it with her dad. But, you know, what I, I bring this example of, Heidi, from what you said, and that often these kids have pain-based behaviors that look like defiance, but underneath it, there's a lot of fear. And right. if we can create avenues where they can express it in a safe way, then we have that tool to work with them. Um, you know, Mr. Rogers said, what's mentionable is manageable. And I think once we kids can release what they feel is hidden with, with fears and um, especially the terror that some of them experience, then we can begin to restore safety inside of them and around them. 
Well, I love this. And I love that you quoted Mr. Rogers saying what's mentionable is manageable because he also said, look for the helpers. And I think it's important with all this, when you're, you're going through a loss and you're going through a lot of adversity and, and difficult times to also look for those people out there that are good and that are helping and that are creating positive things in the world so that you don't get a tainted view of life. Um, um, exactly. And that's where role models come in. Um, showing what people have been through, how they survived and how they turn it around and how they thrive. Um, I, um, and, and they're out there, they're everywhere. And that's what I think these kids that are marching are for their peers. I wanted to know from Linda, what are the, you said it's important to have avenues, positive avenues to express in a safe way how you're feeling when you're grieving. Give huh? me some ideas of some of those avenues. It sounds like writing is, is an avenue for children. Writing is an avenue. Here's an uh, easy example. Sometimes okay. kids feel that their loved one is with them. And one little girl felt that um, she, every time she thought of, saw a butterfly, it was her mom sending her a message. And her father honored her belief system by making her a butterfly necklace. So that's an example of how we can use symbolic um, ways to kids. Um, writing is also an example, and uh, you know, one of the, and, and using children's questions. One little girl came to me, and she said her mom had died in a terrible crash. She said, "Linda, what do you, um, where do you think my mom is? What do you think heaven is?" And I said, "Michelle, what do you think heaven is?" And together we drew that picture, and she she showed a beautiful picture of what she thought heaven was. That was a place where. Only the great ones lived, like her mom, and her mom loved Elvis, and Elvis was there and loved dancing, and the pets were there. And it, the picture that she drew allowed her to have a positive visualization about where mom was and also really share a lot of loving information about her. I just got a question here. I'm a parent who is wondering how I can help my kids who uh, through all this trauma and shooting and things they're seeing on television, as a parent, would I have them draw pictures? Um, as a parent, I would listen very carefully to what they say and don't say and use teachable moments. You know, all of our kids are so media savvy that they hear and see so much. And if a parent is with them, that's the perfect time to begin a discussion, make sure they understand what they're seeing. You know, during 9-11, young children misinterpreted what they saw on TV. Every time they saw a replay of Twin Towers, they thought it was happening for the first time. So I think one thing parents can do is make sure they understand what their children are um, incorporating about these events. And I always find that before kids go to bed is the time that they might want to open up and talk. And so it's just important to be present. Another time where I find kids tend to open up is if you're in the car with them alone and it's just you and them and, and they might also begin to, um, to open up and other. And the other thing is to just try to create ways you can empower your kids to be advocates for themselves. Um, in situations where they're unsure. Um, so I think that that's helpful as well. Well, and like you're saying, the car is really helpful because 
I think some of the best conversations, and they've definitely found this in research with boys, is conversations with children shoulder to shoulder rather yep. than face to face because children are looking at our expressions to see mm -hmm. how they should gauge their conversation. And it's sometimes best if they don't read our, try to read our faces. Well, Heidi, that's really a good point. Um, and to that point, we're also role models for children. Yeah. So if children see the adults around them um, getting frightened and scared and out of control over traumatic events, then they tend to do two things, either model it and follow suit or become the adult and feel that they have to be the responsible one to take care of their parents. Mm. So what parents do and how they act, as you say, create a, um, a great impact on how children will, will react to grief and trauma. Mm -hmm. So, so for parents who are asking how they can help their kids, I think uh, partially part of it is helping yourself and making sure you're getting the kind of support you need so that you right. can role model a person who gets support, asks for support, maybe talks about it, you know, and, and deals with it. But I think your thing about the news is incredible because I'm just thinking about kids playing in the living room and parents watching the news and not even thinking about a five-year-old playing with their truck or whatever, yeah. that this, these same stories are being played over and over. Well, you found that with 9-11, with the young kids would um, reenact, as you would in a trauma, just from watching it on TV, reenact building the towers, yeah. knocking them down, and go buildings go boom. And we asked one four-year-old to draw what they thought happened that day. They tried to draw the tower, but they said, you know, it was just too big. And I think, as you say, parents forget that children are listening. And not only are they listening, but the young children have a big tendency to misinterpret Absolutely. what they hear because they take things so concretely. Um, and the other thing that young children do, which is just a strong caveat for parents and 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 an awareness is that they have so much magical thinking and they blame themselves for right. a lot that goes Hi. on. My concern is about the vocabulary of death when talking mm -hmm. to children. All those mm -hmm. euphemism, sorry, that we use, visit at the cemetery, God took grandma to heaven, the good die young, going to be with God, putting the dog to sleep how those have an effect on children and what are the what are the ways to talk to children more directly and not frighten them and tie into that magical thinking making them think that uh, when they go to sleep that they're not going to wake up the next day right and well i think all of us fall short on the, on what you mentioned about clichés that often hinder the grief process grandma you know God loved grandma so much, God took grandma away. Well, why didn't God take me too? Dad went on a long trip. Well, why didn't he say goodbye? Um, um, your uncle is watching over you all the time. And one little boy came in and with that cliche and said to me, Linda, do you think that's really true? That could be very embarrassing. So yeah. the kids take these cliches, as you mentioned, and create a false impression about what grief is. And there's... You know, we can take a simple vocabulary and then accommodate it to age-appropriate ways to talk to kids. But death is when the body stops working. Usually people die when they're very, very old or very, very sick or their bodies are so injured that the doctors and nurses can't make their bodies work anymore. And often I find that kids are satisfied 
with death makes the body stop working. And then you can say to young children, well, what couldn't you do if your body isn't working? Well, we couldn't play, we couldn't eat, we couldn't swim, you know, to bring them into the concept. Um, it does get complicated with more complicated kinds of grief. And I have found through working with all different kinds of complications that when we can develop words to use, no matter how difficult the topic, it helps to normalize it for the kids. And I think of suicide, I think of homicide, I think of difficult topics as well. Wanted to ask you, you were talking about creating uh, spaces for kids. Talk about that a little bit. So you're talking about what we can do to help them, but also how we can create spaces for them. Um, I mean, spaces where they feel safe. Yeah. Well, um, I think by being open with a listening heart to what they're saying and what they're not saying. One little girl came um, to grief therapy. It was Mother's Day. And I could see that she wasn't very happy that day. Her mom had died. And when I started talking to her, um, she said that no one mentioned her mom and she didn't get to do anything for her mom for Mother's Day. So I, I recognized that this was something that she was missing and nobody was addressing the love she had for her mom. So I said, would you like to write a letter? And she did. And she said, dear mom, I miss you. I'm fine. I don't know what to get you yet for Mother's Day. And because she loved Ashley, when she wrote that, it helped me to realize she wanted to do something for mom. So I said, Ashley, would you like to take a little walk with me? And we could, would you like to write mom a note? We can get a balloon and send it off for her. She thought that was a great idea. So together we went to the drugstore, we got a balloon. She wrote, I love you, mom. And I could see by her expression and the light in her eye that she felt so much better that she had done something concrete to remember her mom on Mother's Day. So, so what I'm hearing, what I'm thinking when I'm hearing this now, if I'm listening to this as a therapist or as a, a parent, say yes. my husband died or something, I could hear that child say that, that I'm missing daddy. And I could say, you know, Father's Day or whatever. And, and I could, as uh, the mom, go and get a balloon and do some of the things that you're talking about therapeutically that can really be done at home by family members. Absolutely. You could write a letter to dad and just tell him how much you miss him, how much you love him. And um, there's, there's many things that kids can do. Um, you can even mail it to heaven if they believe in heaven, right? That's exactly right. And, you know, oftentimes um, kids have reversibility, especially young, younger children. And they do think that if they mail that letter, they're going to be waiting for a response. Oh, that's a good point. So I think that's a parallel thought for parents to think about, but <laughs> any way the kids can concretely get their feelings down. We work with memory books a lot, and we can do those memory books at home. Where um, kids get to write my favorite memory. If there's one more thing I could say to my dad, this is what I'd say. Um, our special time together, and you know, there's just many, many things that 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 um, kids can do. Yeah. Linda, I have a question for you. I have a question for you that is my number one most asked question when I speak to bereaved parents. And you know, they ask me as a sibling, and I'm very curious to hear what you're going to say. What they say often is, I have a surviving teenager who has lost a sibling, and my teenager will not talk about it, and I have no idea how they're doing, and I'm concerned. 
Okay, and that is such a common um, attribute of teenagers, some teenagers, not to be able to talk about it. That's one thing that I suggest is a support group for for kids that have all gone through the same thing. Mm -hmm. If that teenager would be willing to go to a support group with other kids that have also had a sibling die, I find the commonality of the experience often helps them to open up. Um, I think also that even though a teen won't talk about it, they may do other, they may show other behaviors that show they're grieving. For example, even though Johnny won't talk about his brother's death, he seems to wear his sweatshirt almost mm -hmm. every day. Um, just different ways that kids may show their grief <laughs> without actually talking about their sadness or pain. But I do think grief support groups are really very workable ideas for teens. You know, I like this, Linda, and you said something earlier, and you said that two things, that parents need to model appropriate grief reactions because otherwise kids are either going to grieve like in a dysfunctional way, like the, if the parents are, or they're going to become parentified. And I definitely see that with grief siblings. When, we, when our parents are falling apart at least when mine were you know it's a normal thing to fall apart when your kids have died right the the, right. Siblings, the surviving siblings step up and they hide their feelings because they're trying to be good kids we don't share our exactly. feelings with our parents because our parents are a wreck and we're trying to to help them by not sharing you know it's a hard one because a lot of times a surviving child feels neglected because there's so much oftentimes with any death parents can become so emotionally overwhelmed that if they're not absent physically, they're absent emotionally. And as you said, you know, another thing that teens might be doing is stepping up to the plate, becoming the over-responsible one, have the feeling they need to take care of their parents. So I think it's a caution to be sure that these kids are allowed to be kids. And there's a space where parents allow them to be kids and show that they're okay. And that's a process, and it's not a linear process, but it's, it's a hard one. It's a hard one. I think mm -hmm. you can't demand of teenagers to grieve the way you, you think they should grieve, but rather be on the lookout for the way they are, whether it's being over-responsible, whether it's being perfect, or whether it's being withdrawn. Mm -hmm. So many different kinds of responses we can have to grief and loss. Well, Linda, before we close the, the show today, I wanted to ask you, um, could you give us a couple of tips that you think can help kids, particularly in light of these school shootings and the things that have gone on, and maybe help the parents, whatever. What are your thoughts? Well, my first thought is safety is to create an environment where kids feel safe. And not only in the physical sense, but safe enough to express their feelings without judgment. Um, if it's hard for a parent to see their child cry, then how can a child comfortably be sad in front of them? So I think um, they need a safe space and a safe person that they can go to and express feelings 
um, in any way they want without fear of judgment. I think a second tip is to be an advocate in the schools to make sure that that child, um, that you're a liaison to the school, that they know that this is a grieving child, that grieving children may be more fearful. It might be good to set up um, a plan where they know at a time that they choose, they can call and check with the parent, make sure that they're okay while they're at school. Maybe the school can um, give a class buddy so that, that we're sure that that child doesn't feel alone at school. How do people find you in your books? Um, I do Amazon and um, the publishers, Jessica Kingsley or Bruno Rutledge. Do you have a, a website? I do. It's um, www.grievingchildren.net. All right. Well, Heidi, why don't you close the show with Linda? Linda, thank you so much for everything you're doing and thank you for educating mm -hmm. the, the professionals out there because I think that some of them need all the, the information you have. And thank you for talking to also the bereaved community. I think you normalize a lot of what's going on with kids because I know as parents, parents get stressed out and concerned. And at the end of the day, they just want to know that their kids are going to be okay. Um, mm -hmm. You know, okay, even though they've had a loss. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, and maybe even more than okay because they come out the other side where they know they can come through a very difficult experience. And we've got Heidi to prove it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. We went through the we, death we of her will, brother. We will survive. And with help and with community, we eventually will go on to thrive. I want to thank everybody for being, joining our show today, those that came and uh, tuned in. And we hope that you'll visit us at opentohope.com. And uh, Heidi and I always want to say, and I'm sure Linda wants to join us in this, if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own. 